The viewpoints expressed on Night Fright are not necessarily those of the host, the staff, the sponsors, or the affiliate stations. Tonight's program may contain graphic themes or images. Viewer discretion is advised. I guess to to uh, you know to start off with Brent, um, it has been over 50 years uh, that I really you know delve into or really spoke um, about the assassination, about the participation. Um, that myself, along with the other casket team members, um, participated in. Um, it was an historical event, and for the most part, a lot have, has been written about it, and I have to uh, be honest uh, to the extent that I never really paid attention even though I had been interviewed on multiple occasions by people that were writing about it, but I never, I never really, you know, paid that much attention because I always believed or I always felt that they were trying to commercialize on something as traumatic and as sad as the assassination but uh so i i really didn't pay that much attention even when it came on tv you know uh the anniversary um november 22nd uh every anniversary they would have something on tv but i really didn't pay that much attention because i was a participant and i believed what the government had stated at the time and that everything else was people trying to make money on telling a different story and I'm not a conspiracy guy, I believe in evidence. So I really didn't pay that much attention to what was taking place. Hugh, um, can you take us back to that day, November 22nd, 1963? How did you first learn about the president's death? Well, on that on that particular day, um, it was a it was a beautiful, gorgeous day. It was November. It was a little chilly in D.C. Uh, 
the entire honor guard was uh, getting ready to go on leave or everybody was trying to see whether or not we could go home for Thanksgiving to be with our families. So we were all up on what what we would call the third deck of the administration building where we were housed. And we were all getting ready, guys with shining shoes, shining brass, pressing their uniforms. Uh, it was a Friday. And, and so it was a kind of relaxed day because we didn't have any particular ceremonies that day. So everybody was kind of in a laid-back uh, laid mode. And then all of a sudden, I mean, when it came over the TV that the president, that, that there was a shooting and that they believed that the president had been shot. And, I mean, it was, it was as though someone just sucked all the oxygen out of the room and from that point on, uh, you know, we were all glued to the TV. And uh, once the word came out that the president had passed away, everyone knew that nobody was going any, anywhere, um, especially due to the fact that, you know, it was a military facility and no one knew at the time whether or not there was a conspiracy, whether whether there was going to be an attack on the United States. So all the military facilities, I believe, in the United States overseas went on alert. Hugh, what um, was the scuttlebutt about the possibilities of, a, of an attack? Now, you're only a year later from the Cuban Missile Crisis. Exactly, exactly. And, and most I, I believe that most everybody, even though there was not a lot of of talking going on because we were all, I mean, we were all traumatized, really. Um, but we believe that, that, you know, something happened, that a, a foreign government maybe, um, we, we just didn't know. And there wasn't a lot coming over the TV other than, the fact that the president had passed away, and uh, I think anybody during that time, every everyone was grieving. They were distraught. They were grieving, um, and they were. We were all looking for answers, and there weren't a lot of answers coming out. How old so, were you, Hugh, at the time? At at the time, I was 18 years old. Oh my God. Uh, had just I was eight. I had just turned 19 years old, and. For me, having never really been out of New York other than going to boot camp and uh, leaving Great Lakes, Illinois, and coming right from boot camp to the Honor Guard, uh, that, 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 was, uh, that was my great experience to that point. Many people who don't know what the Honor Guard actually does, could you explain what your role was? Not with President Kennedy, we're going to come to that, but in general, what does the Honor Guard do? And in general, what the, what, the Honor Guard, uh, what the Honor Guard's responsibility was, any, any type of ceremony or big ceremonial events taking place in the... Washington, D.C. area, 
uh, which which would include dignitaries uh, coming to D.C. to meet with the president for state dinners, any type of uh, parades, any type of funerals uh, that would take place at Arlington National Cemetery, uh, any type of special events where uh, all the military uh, branches would participate, too many unknown soldier, Iwo Jima monument, anything where uh, replaying ceremonies, stuff like that, uh, all branches of the military would participate, especially the uh, that was the honor guard's responsibility. What service did you represent, sir? I represented the Navy, very proud, proud to do that. Mm-hmm. I had... Uh, two brothers in the Marine Corps. I had a bro- my oldest brother was in the Air Force, and my sister and I were in the Navy. So we were all, five of us were in the military at one point at the same time. I see. Now the words come in that President Kennedy is en route to D.C. via Air, Air Force One. Are you involved at all in picking up the responsibilities of picking up and transporting the coffin once it arrives there. Well, well, in in the in the in the military, especially in the honor guard, my responsibility. Uh, I was in charge of the Navy pallbearers. That was my job. I had rose to uh, that position, uh, having been in the honor guard for approximately six months before I got that position. So it was my responsibility to take uh, the pallbearers out on military funerals, ranging from admirals all the way down to seamen, anybody that was buried at Arlington National Cemetery. But at that point, I knew that the honor guard would be participating in the the, uh, procession or we would play some role in the funeral. Unbeknownst to me at the time, I, I, in my, I, I have to say, in my wildest dreams, did I ever think that uh, I, I would be blessed or I would have that opportunity until I heard my name come over the loudspeaker, um, Hugh Clark report to the honor guard office and. Uh, when I got down, the commander of the honor guard, Commander McNulty, uh, said to me, he said, uh, Hubie, he said, saddle up. Um, the shore patrol or military police will be here to pick you up. And uh, that was it. He said, be down on the quarter deck in like 20 minutes. What day and was this, you? This was on Friday. This was Friday. So you were going to be picked up and driven to Dulles International Airport, is that correct? No, to Andrews Air Force Base. Oh, I'm sorry, Andrews, of course. Andrews Air Force Base. But at the time, I I didn't even ask where I was going, what I would be doing. I I just went and saddled up and uh, got down to the quarter deck, which is like the front, front of the building. When I got down there, the shore patrol was waiting for me. I got in the car, and we took off. And I didn't even ask where we were going, what I was supposed to do or whatever. 
because it, it was it was traumatic for me. And I just thought that I would be part of a procession. Didn't know what, didn't know who, didn't know where. So once we got to Andrews Air Force Base, I mean, it was not a mob scene because it was very orderly, a lot of military, a lot of photographers, a lot of people outside the base. But as we drove through... Uh, D.C. to get to Andrews Air. It was like a ghost. It was like a ghost town. And there was no, I mean, everybody had to be home glued to the TV. But once we got to Andrews Air Force Base, it was uh, a mob scene, but orderly. There were military all over the place, people in civilian clothes. And uh, once I got out of the, out of the, uh, military vehicle um i was directed to line up with uh other military uh members army marine corps air force and coast guard and there were six of us um uh, but we were directed by lieutenant sam bird who was in charge of us at that point and one group was directed to the elevator truck which would bring the remains down, and we would take the remains once it came down on the elevator truck, and we would remove it and place it in the Navy ambulance at that point. And everything was working well uh, until the elevator truck came down with the remains on it. It was a bronze casket, um, and as we were given the order by a nod of the head by Lieutenant Byrd, as we moved to remove the remains off the elevated truck, as we attempted to pull the remains off the truck, we, 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 it, was, it was almost as though we were mugged by people in civilian clothes. Now, we had no idea who they were, whether they were Secret Service, CIA, FBI, um, the only military people that were present was the honor guard. But as I said, it, it was almost as though we were mugged at that point uh, because there were so many hands trying to get a hold of the casket. We almost dropped it because we, we were being pushed, shoved. Um, and at one point, uh, I later found out that... Uh, a general at that point, his name was General Goffrey McHugh, he stated, you know, this is my commander-in-chief. And whenever you look at the pictures in terms of us taking the remains off the truck, I almost got shoved into the back of the ambulance. Um, Sir, what position not did for, you take? If not for Lieutenant Byrd. Sir, what position did you take around the casket? I was at the foot of the casket um, where I was pulling the, the, the remains off the truck, what, we, what we, we would refer to as the foot. Um, the foot would always go in first because when you take the remains out of uh, the hearse or an ambulance, the head would always come out first. So at that point... Um, 
Lieutenant Byrd pulled me to the side as these gentlemen in civilian clothes pushed the the remains into the Navy ambulance. And at that point, uh, Mrs. Kennedy came down. She was helped off the elevated truck. Her and uh, the Attorney General Robert Kennedy got into the Navy ambulance. Lieutenant Byrd directed us to a uh, Army helicopter where we got on board. And at that point, it was at that point that Lieutenant Byrd addressed Major General Wheel, who was in charge of the military district of Washington. Any type of big ceremonial events that would take place, it would go through the military district of Washington, and Major General Wheel was the commander of that unit. So once we got on the helicopter, um, I was sitting across from Major General Wheel, Lieutenant Byrd was sitting next to him, and next on the other side was uh, General Wheel's aide. And I heard Lieutenant Byrd say to General Wheel that, sir, we almost dropped the casket. We can't be interfered with. Could you do something to help us? And at that point, General Wheel said, it will not happen again. And... uh, we shadowed the motorcade through the streets of uh, Washington all the way to Bethesda Naval Hospital, where once we got close, we moved ahead, uh, landed, jumped into the back of a pickup truck so we would be present when the motorcade pulled up. You know, I'm sitting here glued to my chair because this is living history. Hugh Clark is telling us his story when he went to Andrews Air Force Base and was part of the honor guard that took President Kennedy and took him gently in his hands and placed him into the ambulance. Now we're right at Bethesda. Hugh, just a couple of quick questions. Did it seem surreal to have President Kennedy in your hands? It, it, Brent, I, I have to tell you, it was it was... It was a numbing, a numbing feeling. It was a not not nervous, but just uh, one could not grasp the the gravity or or the 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 feeling. Um, that one would get from doing something like this. Um, first and foremost, on my mind was, I don't want to mess up. I don't want to do anything wrong that would spotlight. Um, I want to be the best that I can be for this occasion. And I'm sure, and I know all the other members of the team felt the same way. I don't think anybody had an opportunity to kind of feel nervous or anything. We were we were acting as a team. We had never worked together before, but we 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 did it as a team. We followed directions. And I mean, there wasn't a lot of verbal instructions given because we all had done this before except for one individual. 
but we had all done it before, and we knew what we had to do. So um, that's when the training kicks in. Exactly. Exactly. What was it like seeing Mrs. Kennedy covered in her husband's blood? Yeah. I, I, I would like to say that, you know, you, you, you felt, or I felt, um, just at a glimpse, because you, you were so focused on not Mrs. Kennedy per se, but the remains. But you could see her standing on that elevated truck as we were trying to take the remains and put it in the Navy ambulance. And you could see the blood stains on her, on her uh, outfit that she was wearing. The hat was gone, but you could still see the remains at a glimpse. And um, one could not or I could not imagine um, what she might have been going through. But my focus was really, you know, I don't want to do anything to mess up. I want to stay focused on my responsibility to get the remains in the, in the ambulance and make sure we do it correct. Was there a sense of pride, a sense of honor in yourself that you were the one chosen at that point, the most important moment of the country's life at that point? No, I, I, I honestly was not even thinking like that. It, it was just, you know, this is the president of the United States, and I'm here to do, or we are here to do a job, and we want to do it to the best of our ability. We, we relied on our training, we relied on each other, um, and we acted as a team. Now, that's not to say at some point that that didn't come, come into mind, but at that time, no. Um, once we got off the helicopter and got into the back of the pickup truck that took us from the heliport around to the front of the administration building Bethesda. Wh where we awaited the uh, the motorcade to pull up. Had you lost sight of the motorcade when you landed? I guess you would if you were around the back. Yes. Right? Well, yeah, well what, what had happened when we were a few minutes away from Bethesda Naval Hospital, we went ahead just so we would be in place when the motorcade pulled up in front so we would be able to receive the remains. And uh, I, I'd say no no more than, we were not standing there no more than 10 minutes when the motorcade pulled up. And once the motorcade pulled up, uh, Mrs. Kennedy and Robert Kennedy and someone else exited the ambulance and went inside the administration building and there was a pause for I'd say maybe five minutes and then we were directed to move onto the ambulance and remove the remains and it was at that point where it was as though they had opened the gates and we were I mean it just seemed like flashbulbs started going off 
uh, it seemed like people were just rushing up to the uh, Navy ambulance. And it was at that point, as we were moving toward the ambulance to open the, the back door, the ambulance took off. It just took off. And it was at that point where everybody was a little confused as to what just happened. And maybe I'd say no more than five minutes, Lieutenant Byrd ordered us back into the pickup truck. And, I mean, we jumped into the back of the pickup truck. The pickup truck took off after the ambulance, and we could see the taillights of the ambulance for maybe five minutes. And, I mean, we weren't going at, you know, 10, 15 miles an hour. We were moving. Hmm. And the fact that we were we were in the back, you know, the six of us were in the back of the truck, and Lieutenant Byrd was sitting up front with the driver. But clearly it was obvious that the driver knew the grounds of the Bethesda Naval Hospital, but at some point, we lost the ambulance. I mean, as I said, we weren't going five, ten miles an hour. We we were we were speeding, and I mean, it was night. It was dark, and myself, and I don't think any of the other guys. We didn't have a point of reference, and we were mostly relying on the driver. And as we went around looking or searching for the ambulance, we went to the back of the hospital uh, where the loading dock was, and then we came back to the front of the hospital searching for this ambulance. And then we took off again, and we started looking for the ambulance again. And as we came around... As we came around the back, as we came around the back of the hospital again, we we found the ambulance at the back of the hospital, at the loading dock. And it was at that point that we got out of the pickup truck, lined up, and General Garfrey McHugh was standing at the back of the ambulance. Now, this all took place within a matter of 15, 20 minutes. And as I said, we, we, were, we were kind of cold back there because it got cold. The sun had gone down. It was dark. So once we got out of the, uh, the back of the pickup truck, we lined up. And as we proceeded to remove the remains from the ambulance, we were interfered with again by General McHugh. Um, as a matter of fact, he pushed one of the honor guard, Bud, Bud Barnum, pushed him aside. Um, so again, you know, we were interfered with. But we were able to get the remains out, and as we started up the, uh, what you would call the disability or the ramp mm -hmm. going up to the loading dock we had to lift the uh the casket above the railings because we couldn't all fit 
you know, going up the ramp. So we had to lift it to make the turn and then go up to the loading dock itself. And then we had to almost turn the remains or the casket on its side just to get it through the, the doors of the administration or, or the doors of the loading dock. And it was at that point that we placed it on a dolly, and we wheeled it into the outer room, or what they call the coal, the coal room of the morgue. We did not enter the inner morgue. Uh, we were stopped at the second set of doors, and we were told to, you know, just stand guard outside the morgue. Was the now, hall at, clear, Hugh? The hall was clear. We didn't see, we didn't see, I mean, there were personnel, there were hospital personnel, but I mean, as far as seeing any other military, you know, enlisted personnel, people standing guard or anything like that. Yeah, I was going to ask um, you, security, would that be normal for a situation like this, the lack of? Well, I, I would, I, well, if, 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 the president had already been there, I would say that would have been, you know, uh, unheard of that there wouldn't be any, you know, military police or, you know, someone stationed outside of the morgue. But once we got there, I mean, we brought the remains into the coal room, and then we were, we were directed to stand guard outside the outer doors of the morgue to ensure that no unauthorized personnel gained entry into the morgue. Now, yes, sir. Brent, the entire time that we were there, the only other casket that came through those doors was the mahogany casket that the president was later transferred in uh, after the autopsy was over. Right, because he wasn't buried in the same bronze casket that he was exactly. put in in Parkland Hospital in Dallas. Exactly. Because exactly. That, uh, the handle had broken. Right. Okay. And, I mean, the, the not just the handle, but the top of the casket was bent or dented hmm. from the rough ride from uh, Dallas. Okay. Maybe trying to get it through that door. On the airplane, you see them struggling with it. Right, right. Or even even when they were trying to get it up inside Air Force One, you see pictures of them mm -hmm. uh, almost with the casket standing straight up. You know. Mm -hmm. So I mean, at at any point, it could have been you know it would have been damaged. But even when we were carrying it, we noted that the handle uh, on the I believe the right side had been broken. Just speculation, Hugh, but you've carried a lot of coffins with a lot of bodies, and unfortunately I have too. They're heavy as I'll get out, quite much heavier than people realize. And you're able to tell, I would suspect, with your experience, the difference between an empty casket and a full casket. Now I know this is a little bit different. It's a bronze casket, which means it's going to be heavier than all get out to begin with. Speculation on your part if there was a body in there? I I, I would have to say, Brent, the the fact that there were only six of us and we were 
uh, I don't want to say struggling because we were all young mm -hmm. and we we were accustomed to carrying, you know, heavy, heavy uh, objects. But at no time, I don't think any of us believed that that casket was empty because they're, they're just, they just felt the weight of it. You know, it was not like someone we could feel anybody rolling around or, or you know, bumping or banging, um, anything like that. But the weight of it itself, uh, I think all of us believe that someone or the president was inside that casket. Okay, fair enough, my friend. Did you see them actually remove the body from the casket? No, because remember, that? once we brought it into the... Uh, not the inner morgue, but right. the first, the what we call the cold room. Yes, sir. We were stopped at the door, and the doors were not open. We were told, stop right here, mm -hmm. and then stand guard outside the second set of double doors to ensure that no unauthorized personnel got through there. Did anybody try to come through those doors at all either way well there there, there were military people i know um did you there recognize was that, anybody the only person that i recognized was the uh the president's doctor admiral right. berkeley right now there was one point when myself and uh my partner at the time who was standing guard with me but when we opened the door for uh Admiral Berkeley, and I happened to glance in, um, and I could see the president from the waist up. And to me, he, he just appeared that he was sleeping, that, that he was asleep. And that was the last time. But there, were, there was a point when Lieutenant Byrd asked us, he asked us, would or did we want to go in? and look at the autopsy and I, I I was emphatic and I know others were emphatic no Understood. no we didn't you know no we, we no we didn't want to go in you know okay so but, there, there, there was an opportunity but I don't think any of us uh, none of us wanted to go in because I mean that was that was something that uh, at the time, you know, we 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 were just, as I said, we we were on automatic pilot. I think, I don't want to say we were traumatized, but we were, we we were kind of shook up, but well, we weren't the whole showing country it. Country was, I think, the whole right. world was was like nine eleven for the younger people, if you will. Right. Yeah. Now, did you stand on guard the whole time during the autopsy? The the entire the entire yeah. time. Now, there, there were, as I said, there were six of us. Um, so, I mean, two guys, there were two doors into the morgue. And we would take turns. Would, I can't even tell you for sure that, oh, yeah, I stood out there for four hours or for three hours. Or, you know, we just stood there. And at a point, you know, uh, somebody bought down burgers. So I'm sure I got relieved. <laughs> to go buy the burger, you know, but I don't even remember that because we, we were so, we, you know, we were so focused and Military when given an order, we don't want any unauthorized personnel, you know, you took that very seriously. Absolutely. 
You know, I mean, you you didn't want it to happen while you were standing there, you know, Mm -hmm. and you were prepared for it. Oh, absolutely. And and the point that it took, we weren't even cognizant of the time that the autopsy took. I mean, we we were when I say we were hyped up, we, we were so, you know, the adrenaline level was so high that that we it it. It was like we, I mean, if if they had asked us to run a 5K or a 10K, we probably could have, we probably would have been able to do it because we were so hyped up. Where does your head you know? go at a time like that? What do you focus on? I've always wondered about this. Not to make any mistakes, Brent. Okay. I, I, I didn't, for me personally, I, I mean, it was like, I don't want to make a mistake. I don't want to do anything to make a mistake. This is this is too important. This is the president of the United States. Now at the time I didn't understand the 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 momentous but I it was the president of the United States. The commander in chief. I mean it doesn't get any bigger but at the time you just it, it wasn't about oh I'm do I'm doing this. No. We're doing this, and we're going to do a good job. At the end of the autopsy, they put the body in the new mahogany casket. Mahogany casket, right. right. Were you involved with the putting of the body in that casket? No. Okay. No. That all happened inside the inner morgue. At that and point, when it was going to be transferred to the rotunda, were you involved with that transfer? Absolutely. Can when you tell us that? When that body came out of the morgue, when the body came out of the morgue back into the coal room, that's when we took over. Uh, Lieutenant Byrd was kind of upset because there had not been a flag draped on the casket when it returned from Dallas. So he made sure that a flag was draped on it once, once it came out of the morgue. And once it came out of the morgue, again, we took it, placed it into the Navy ambulance, and that's when we realized, you know, that's that was the first time that I can honestly say that we felt the weight. Mm-hmm. I mean, this, this, this casket was huge, and it was heavy. Only six people. Only six of us at that point. And, I mean, we... we Brent, we were struggling. Uh-huh. I mean, we when I say there were six of us, along with Lieutenant Byrd, he made seven, but he, he had to assist us. That's how heavy that casket was. Can you give a rough guesstimate on how heavy, oh. just to let people know? Oh, I, I, I mean, we, we later found that it was 1,300 pounds, oh. but but it felt heavier than that. That, that was probably, I know it was the, one of the heaviest, if not the heaviest caskets I had ever carried. My goodness. What happened? That, that's, why, that's why we added, that's why we had to add, because yeah. uh, even the lieutenant said, you know, we need, you know, we need more men. And he went to uh, General Wheel and said, we need two more, two more men. And that's when a Navy and a marine were added to the to the team
mm-hmm. Smitty and Jerry were added to the team. But from the point that we got it, uh, we took it from Bethesda Naval Hospital to the White House and then to the East Room, and we placed it in the East Room. We had to stand death watch for a little while until they got organized where the death watch took over. And it was at that point that uh, we all went down to the next floor down from the main floor of the White House, and we were laid out on the carpet. That's how. That's when we realized how tired we were. Mm. I, was laying on, I was can, laying on the floor. Can you tell folks what death watch is? A death watch is uh, usually for a, uh, an officer or someone uh, the rank above, say, uh, captain, where you would have a death watch. And they're there as a, let me see, what, what, what would be the right word? Uh, I was going to say celebrity. As, as an honor, right. as an honor right. to protect, you know, not that anything's going to happen, but as an as a honor of this individual's uh, service to the country. That's where you stand around the coffin at four points and you tilt your head forward? Yes. Yes, sir. We've seen that yeah, many, many times. It's, a, it's, um, uh, it's an honor thing. You, you, you folks, just to let you know, it shows respect, it shows honor and uh, appreciation for the person's service. Exactly. Okay, so you you flake out on the floor, finally you get a chance. When did the tears come? I, I, I didn't, I don't think any of us had time for tears. Okay, sir. There, 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 there were no tears because we were so focused, we were so, uh, I guess, um, I, I don't want to say shock, but we were just, we, it, it, was, it was traumatic. It was traumatic. And from that point, once we got to the White House and we had an opportunity to just sit down for a moment, there weren't a lot of words. Nobody was saying, you know, I I don't remember any conversation other than Lieutenant Byrd uh, telling us, all right, listen, this is what's going to happen tomorrow. I need everyone back here at such and such a time. This is where we're going to meet. Um, From the point that we got him into the East Room, uh, where he had to lie in state, and then the next day, you know, he was going to the Capitol, and that was going to be a job. And Lieutenant Byrd said, okay, we're going to meet at Arlington National Cemetery at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier at, you know, 9 o'clock at night once the the cemetery closes, and we're going to practice with this empty casket going up and down the steps of the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. That was the following night or the next day. And that's what we did till after midnight. We were going up and down the steps. Lieutenant Byrd 
set on the casket. At one point, I think he got in the casket, and we were going up and down those sets because we knew how heavy the casket was. We knew how critical it was going to be because the capital steps are not that wide. So it was important that no two individuals stepped on the same step at the same time. So it was it was something that we wanted to be absolutely sure, we wanted to be absolutely perfect that we had this down. And I think um, the the public and I guess the world could see that we did not make any mistakes on that one. I don't know how you did it. I really don't. Because I, I as I said, I've been a pallbearer many, many times far too many in my family and folks unless you've lifted a casket you have no idea in a 1300 pound casket i don't know how you guys did it you know brent i i think when when you know i we, we were all you know pretty young we were all in good shape you know to be in the honor guard you have to be in good shape there's a lot of physical fitness going on um and and so you know we were in in good shape but remember I said that you could tell the difference between the two caskets because once we lifted the the, the mahogany cat we knew, I mean instantly, you could hear you could you could hear when we lifted it you could hear the groan mm. from everyone. You know, mm. that that's how that's how pronounced it was. Okay. You know, so for six of us we were struggling. We 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 were, but even with eight of us, with eight of us, Brent, we were struggling. Oh, I know. I with a question. Uh, it, it's unbelievable just how heavy these things are, folks. Now we're coming up to the end of the of the of this hour, but we're not anywhere near burying the president. Would you guys want to stick around for the second hour? And I want to get into the controversy as well. Is that okay oh, with both of you? Okay, and what we're going to get into in the second hour, folks, is there are two versions of how the body arrived at Bethesda, and we're going to be looking at that. And uh, with Hugh Clark, who is a member of the Honor Guard that took President Kennedy's body to Arlington Cemetery, www.nightfrightshow.com. I'm Brent Holland. There's the music. We'll see you next time, part two, in about five Six minutes. Stick with us. Thank you, guys. Witness accounts. Order yours right now. Nightfrightshow.com.